Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for Refocus. joining us today. That Here's is this the week's sermon. theme for this morning. I'm going to invite you to join me in looking at a passage of Scripture you may have heard before but I'm trusting God to give us new eyes to see today. Back before I had LASIK surgery, my vision was 2,400 as a teenager. I wore contacts and I kind of moved them around in my eyes. Sometimes I'd accidentally get two or three in the same eye because they'd roll back there and I didn't know it was back there. And then I'd take it out and go, I thought I took it out. And there was another one. And I had all sorts of vision issues. And then all of a sudden I met a doctor who could transform the way I looked at life. And he had this light that he could shine on my eyes, and it carved my retina in a way that it refocused everything. Before I would look at the chart and they'd say, can you see the E? And I'd be like, what chart? (laughs) You know, like, it was almost that bad. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But this guy had the power with his light to shine it on my life and into my eyes, and, and I had to hold him open. I remember being strapped into the chair, and, and I knew I could like move my head around a little more than I wanted to. And I thought to myself, I wonder how much my head can move. And then I thought it would be really dumb to find out because this laser's getting ready to carve my retina. And there was this scary, scary moment when I had my eyes open and everything fades to black. And then I woke up and I had gauze on my eyes. Felt kind of like the Apostle Paul after the road to, uh, the road to Damascus. And, and then all of a sudden, they took the gauze off and everything was pixelated. Everything sort of looked like I was playing uh, Minecraft. I don't know why kids like those pixelated games when you have all this other stuff with high resolution, but it was all pixelated. And then after a few more hours, it started to get grainy so I could see a little more. And then it got crystal clear. Then I started living life in high definition and I could go on mission trips and I could wake up and serve Jesus every day. I didn't need glasses and I didn't need contacts because I had some surgery done on my eyes so I could focus. That's what this sermon series is about for 2021. We're going to let Jesus do some surgery on our eyes, because if we're all honest, we all have some eye work to do. Because I don't know about you, but, but I had surgery from a physical doctor, but Jesus is still working on my eyes spiritually so I can see life from his perspective. So I can see his kingdom at work around me so that I can see him above my circumstances. He's still carving away at me. And I pray you'll let him carve away at you a little bit with the light of his word today so we can see a little more clearly. Amen? Amen. That's what this refocus series is about. So here's the story. Jesus has just fed 15,000 people minimum out in the wilderness, earlier in Matthew chapter 14. That's a big deal. The high school down the street, Crawford, has about 2,000 to 2,500 kids that'll come by on any given day. Imagine feeding seven Crawford high schools with one dude's lunch. Think about that. And the reason I'm saying minimum is the Bible tells us that they counted men. It was a patriarchal society back then. But each man had perhaps a wife, perhaps a few kids. If it was a large Samoan family, it could have been, you know, 12 kids. You never know, right? I studied this text with some Samoan brothers and sisters, and they're like, bro, it could have been a lot of people. Isn't that cool? Like, let's not minimize the miracle here. Jesus just took a lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish, and fed 15 to 20, maybe 25,000 people in the wilderness. It wasn't at a buffet. It wasn't even in the inner city. It was in the wilderness. Like go out to the desert where there's nothing and that's where Jesus decided to do his miracle. Sort of like when Elijah the prophet said, I'm gonna bring fire from heaven, but I want you to pour water on the sacrifice first so I can really show off God's power. I'm not just going to bring fire. I'm going to bring fire on soaking wet water. You know what? It's not wet enough. Pour more water. Pour more water. So Jesus took everyone out into the wilderness where there was no other place to find anything but him, and that's when he shows up. 
So that's where the disciples are. They watched this happen. Jesus took this little kid's loaf, and there's a whole sermon about the loaf and giving God what you have in your hand, and that's not for today. But this little kid hands Jesus what he's got. Jesus gives thanks for it. He breaks it. He blesses it, hands it to the disciples. The disciples hand it out to everyone else, and there's leftovers. Twelve baskets full. God's bounty in the wilderness. He doesn't just eke out an existence for us. He's lavish with his blessings in our lives. So the disciples witnessed all this. They could see, but could they see? That's the question. Before, I had my eyes open, but it was 2,400. I hope after today, we'll be able to see, and it'll be more like 2020 vision. I'm talking about being able to see clear. We don't need to go back to 2020. I'm talking about 2020 vision in terms of seeing clearly what's in front of you. That messed all of our pastor sermon illustrations up. 2020 vision turned out to be 2020 division. We were all looking forward to it, but it ended up being really tough. But I'm asking today, can you see what Jesus sees when you look at other people? Can you see what Jesus sees when you look at your life? Can you see what Jesus sees when you look at your circumstances? Can you see yourself in a bigger story that Jesus is writing? And can you see yourself in a bigger story that Jesus not only was the author of the story, he became a character in the story. So we just celebrated with Christmas. He wrote the story and then wrote himself into it because he wanted to change it. And every character that meets the author, who's also a character, gets transformed in the story. Can you see that? That's the question this morning. So right after that, the crowd's so amazed by Jesus. He's, he's fed all these people with one lunch that one of the other gospel accounts said they wanted to make him king by force. They were seeing him and they're like, this is our guy. This is our political agenda fulfilled. He's gonna overthrow the Romans and we're ready to crown him king. And Jesus says, I don't want to be king of a fallen, flawed world. I'm looking forward to reigning forever when I can wipe every tear away from people's eyes, when I can eliminate sickness and depression and broken relationships. I'm going to reign when I reign forever. That's what I'm looking forward to. Can you see what I'm really doing here, he's asking? So he had to dismiss the crowds, and he had to do it fast because they were really excited. So we see the word immediately, which we'll see three times in this story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He had to persuade them not to make him king. He had to persuade them to go home and take the good news to their families. He had to persuade them that he was the bread of life. He didn't just come to fill a belly because somebody's going to get hungry again. They, they needed breakfast the next morning after Jesus had done this miracle. He said, I want to satisfy your soul so deeply that you'll be, you'll be satisfied forever and fulfilled forever. Jesus said he came to bring life to the fullest, not just life for a meal. And so Jesus had to dismiss the crowds, and he said to the disciples, get into the boat and go before me. That's why they went into the boat and went before him. They were obedient. He dismissed the crowds. Then after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Anytime you have a big outreach, you can draw a big crowd when you're feeding people and handing stuff out, and Jesus did that, and that's good to do. But when it's time to pray, you'll probably be alone. And sometimes that's when God does the deepest work in us, is when we meet him alone, late at night, early in the morning, in private, we're going to see Jesus do some work in Peter's heart while he's alone. But Jesus didn't ask Peter to do something that Jesus himself wasn't willing to do as a leader. Don't follow anybody that doesn't practice what they preach. Jesus was alone letting God shape him. And then he commanded Peter to go out into the waters because Peter knew, or God knew rather, Jesus knew that there was a storm coming and Peter was going to be shaped while he's alone with Jesus in just a little bit. But it starts by meeting Jesus in private before we ever say a word in public. And that's what Christ was about. So he's alone up on the mountain. That's what the scripture says. So he could pray. Martin Luther, the 
reformer that changed all of church history. The reason we have Protestantism is because of him. And he said, I have too much going on in my life every day not to pray for three hours a day. We say things like, well, I've got too much in my life right now to be able to pray for 30 minutes a day. At our Friday night service, Pastor Marcos got up and he did the prayer time that I led us in moments ago. And and he accidentally said, I'm gonna give you 30 minutes of silence to listen to God. He meant to say 30 seconds. And there were some terrified gasps in the crowd. (laughs) 30 minutes of silence before God? I'll give my favorite rap artist or my favorite musician or my favorite athlete three and a half hours without question, but 30 minutes for the Lord of the universe? Are you kidding me? Let's not get out of shape spiritually. The reason we don't have power in our churches or in our lives is because we have the attention span of a goldfish, according to some scholars right now. I'm doing some online marketing for our ministry, and they told me I have five seconds to capture people's attention as they're scrolling through social media. Jesus wasn't about 30 minutes. He was about three hours. He was about 3 a.m. because he wanted to be fully shaped by the Father. So when he showed up in public, lives didn't stay the same. Eternity didn't stay the same. Jesus let himself be shaped in private so that he had the moral authority to ask the disciples to be shaped in that same way in God's presence. Let's learn to pray this new year. We're going to have a Daniel fast in a couple weeks to learn how to hunger after God even more than hunger hits us for steak or seafood or carbs or whatever that is that we hunger for. Man, I want to be more hungry for the presence and the power of God in my life. Don't you? I do. I'm preaching to me, by the way, this morning. You're welcome to listen in. I'm not delivering this message like I've figured prayer out. I'm delivering this message as a person that wants God to do more work carving away my eyesight so I can see his agenda in this world more clearly and participate in it. But that clarity and vision comes by being alone in prayer. So then, Jesus was up there for so long, the Bible says, he wasn't afraid to be alone because he was never truly alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, the Godhead, love shared for all eternity. He was in that celebration of love forever and he was alone, but he wasn't alone and he was able to be there for hours because it renewed his soul. What can you binge on for three hours that's gonna fill your soul more than prayer with the Lord? Netflix doesn't have a series like that. There's not an app for that. You've got to be with the Lord and let him, with the bread of life who came down from heaven, satisfy your soul. But the boat, the scripture says, by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. One of the other gospels said it was many stadia, and a stadia is two football fields. One of the other accounts said three to four miles, so you know the boat was out there. I read a scientist trying to explain Jesus walking on water, and he was an unbeliever, secular guy, and he said, there might have been some really cold winds in the ancient Near East, and it could have froze part of the water near the shore, and the disciples couldn't tell, but Jesus might have been stepping out on ice. Three to four miles of ice? Ice doesn't let the boat rock back and forth in the waves. You don't almost drown in ice. You almost drown in water. And Jesus saved him from that. We have to be able, that scientist didn't have the eye surgery. They had the IQ. They had the degree. But just because you have something hanging on your wall, and I've gotten lots of degrees, but I trust in the surgery of Christ to see the world through his word even more than any other document. And he wasn't able to recognize the power of Christ. So he said, there has to be some other explanation. And there really is. Either this account is false and Matthew's lying to us or Matthew was confused and didn't see the ice. These are like four professional fishermen. They had pretty good knowledge of the waters and the weather. Or this had never happened before and we need the eyes to see the Son of God showing up in flesh to change us. The author of the story joined the story. That's what might be going on. And that's what I submit to you is going on this morning. 
So the boat's out there beaten by the waves. The wind was against it. And I guarantee you that there were fishermen who had died out on the Sea of Galilee in storms like this. And Peter and the other apostles, four of them were at least professional fishermen. They were scared to death. They were probably going through their mental Rolodex or their mental snapshots of people that had died out on the water. The waves were against them. And then in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. If you don't think solitude and prayer is important, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 to 6 a.m. Somehow, spiritual activity can be higher at that moment. And I'll try to figure out why later, but I've experienced it. And at 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus came to them. He saw them struggling. He saw them buffeted by the waves. 2020 for us was about being buffeted by the waves of the virus and racial unrest, a divided nation and a divided election and all sorts of divisions. We were hoping for 2020 vision. Like I said, we got 2020 division. Our boats are rocked and the storm's not over. This is my storm impersonation of being rocked by a boat. So just kind of imagine this place sort of looks like the ark if you dream with me. It's probably too low and it's not long enough, but it's made of wood and it's arcing up above and doesn't smell like there's a bunch of animals in here because we've showered, but you'll just stay with me. So the, the, the waves are still going. The storm in 2021 isn't over just because the calendar flipped a page. Just because your iPhone has a different number, the storm's still going and you and I need to be able to recognize Jesus in the storm. So he sees what's going on and it's the fourth watch of the night. He comes out to them. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, he had never done this before for them. When your deity boats are optional, wouldn't that be kind of fun? He hung out in boats just to spend quality time with the disciples, not because he had to. Think about that. Anytime he's in a boat, it's because he wants to teach them something. He wants to spend time with them. He enjoys bonding with them. He didn't need to go in a boat. The disciples didn't know who he was yet. Mark says they didn't have a clue from the bread that had just come down from heaven. The feeding of 15,000 people, somehow they forgot that already. We're pretty good at the spiritual amnesia too. We'll talk about that disease a little later. But they forgot who he really was. They see him and they said, they're terrified. They say, he is a ghost. And they cry out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, here's that word again, immediately, they were about to freak out and lose heart. Immediately, Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I that made the waves, don't be afraid. It's, it's I who speak to the wind, don't be afraid. Anderson Cooper on CNN can report on the weather and talk about the weather. Jesus is the I who can talk to the weather and it changes. Jesus said, that's who's here, so don't be afraid. Be able to see me. I'm not a ghost. Can you see me? I'm, I'm the God in flesh. I'm not just a Gnostic phantom. I took on flesh and blood and moved into your neighborhood. I'm the author of the story who wrote myself into it. It is I. I am. Ego a me. It's an overstatement in Greek. I myself am here. God in flesh has shown up. God has seen your struggle in the storm and he's come to you. That's good news. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to the manger. He came to the mess. He came to the chaos. He came to the storm. It is I, he says. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him. Peter's always the bold, brash one. I love Peter. I see a lot of myself in Peter. Maybe you do too. The good and the bad. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now remember before, Peter's already seen Jesus command the wind and the waves like we just talked about. There was another storm. Jesus was asleep. They woke him up. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to ground? And Jesus was so convinced about the power of his heavenly father, he slept peacefully, not because the storm wasn't dangerous, but because his father was so much greater than the storm. And then he woke up and he said, hey, wind, shut up. 
waves, calm down. Peter saw Jesus command the wind and the waves before no other fisherman was able to do that. Peter could catch fish. Jesus made the fish. And so he said, command me using that same authority, Jesus, the same authority that's leading you to walk on the water right now. Are you a ghost floating or are you a human, a supernatural person walking on the water? I'm going to bet on number two, Peter says, command me to walk out on the water. So Jesus uses a one word command, come. He had the same power to say to demons, go. This time he said to Peter, come. He had called Peter from his fishing business earlier. Peter was a successful business owner. And Jesus said, leave your fishing industry. I want to teach you how to become fishers of men and women. Come. So Peter comes. He gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and came to Jesus. So Jesus had walked three to four miles out to them, but he was still far enough away that they couldn't quite see his face but they could hear his voice. So probably maybe someone in the back row of church. I could, I could see there's a person there. If you yell out, hello, I can hear you, but I can't quite see the face. So we know Peter got more than a first down as he's walking out on the water. He must have made it 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 yards to Jesus. And what do you think the other disciples are doing in the boat? Do you think they're cheering? Do you think they're going, man, I should go next? Or do you think they're going, that dude's crazy. Peter's nuts. What's he doing? There's like, there's like waves crashing over him. The storm didn't go away when he was walking. Peter was focused on Jesus. I want to see his face more clearly. I, want to, I heard his voice. I want to, the Bible says that we see through a glass darkly, but one day we'll see face to face. And Jesus is calling Peter. We have his word now. One day we'll see his face and we've got to walk obediently by faith to see more clearly. And Peter makes it all the way out to Jesus. Could I get a little more water up here, please? Peter makes it obediently all the way out to Jesus. And then the Bible says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink And he cried out, thank you, brother. Jesus cried out, or Peter cried out, rather, Lord, save me. And here's the word again, with a sense of urgency and purpose, Jesus, immediately. Sometimes our prayers are answered, immediately. Sometimes our fear has to be vanquished, immediately. Because we can see the I am is here. God has all the power over sin and death, over creation, over demons, over sickness, over the weather. Lord, save me. Peter reaches, or Jesus reaches down and grabs him, and he addresses Peter by saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. One of the accounts actually says the boat instantly made it to shore. Wouldn't that be cool in traffic? Just pray, and immediately, you're where you need to go. You're at your next appointment. That's what happened. The wind died down. All the accounts agree on that. One even says it instantly, Jesus made it to shore. And those in the boat, how could you not, right? Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of the Gerenset. And when the men at that place recognized him, they sent around to the region word and brought him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment for as many as touched it were made well. All you had to do was get a little piece of his blue jeans and your life would change immediately. That was the power of Jesus. So Peter was trying to recognize Jesus. Some people in the crowds recognized him, and as soon as they saw the boats, they grabbed everyone. Some people think Jesus actually was trying to sneak back and not have two boats at the shore because John's account says that the crowds watched the disciples get in, and they watched Jesus go up to the mountains, so they knew that if there's just one boat, it would just be 
the disciples and not Jesus. But if Jesus rolled up in two boats, then they would try to look for him harder. So Jesus is actually playing hard to get at this moment because he wants to be found by those who are really earnestly seeking him. That might have been one of the other reasons he was walking out on the water was because he didn't want to advertise that he made it back and he wanted people to really seek him who wanted to find him genuinely. He still works that way today. Worshiping the son of God. Is there any other response? I watched the Alabama and Notre Dame game. Sorry if you're a Notre Dame fan, but there was this moment when Najee Harris, the running back for Alabama, leaps over top of one of the other defenders and goes on for 30 or 40 more yards. It was a phenomenal play. And the crowd's going wild. Everyone's like on the couch, off the couch, going, can you believe it? But imagine Peter walking out on water and Jesus walking out on water before that. Don't you think the excitement would have been even more? Like, I can't even believe that just happened. No one ever does that. This must be the son of God. I watch Nazi Harris and go, that must be a first round draft pick. I watch Jesus and go, that must be the son of God. Nobody else has done that before. Wow. And the more you hang out with Jesus, the more you can do things that give God glory that other people aren't able to do. Because the crowds aren't in the boat and the disciples aren't in the water. It's only one dude that cared enough to step out in faith. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So as we look at this passage, there's a few thoughts I want to let us really dwell on and meditate on for a second. We'll let it marinate in our hearts. The first one's this, that obedient people go through storms. Peter wouldn't have been on that boat if he hadn't been obedient to Jesus. He had to leave his fishing business and follow He had to follow Jesus into the wilderness. He helped pass out food. He collected leftovers. Jesus said, jump in the boat. You can read it. Fact check me. Make sure I'm right. Jesus sent them back on the boat while he dismissed the crowds. It was a command for them to go back to the other side. So Peter's obedience led him into a storm that he wouldn't have encountered had he not been an obedient follower of Jesus. I want that to sink in for some of us. Because some of us, like like me, it's easy to follow Jesus and think, man, there's a storm coming, and I've got some knuckleheads in this boat with me, and things are getting rocky and rough. Did, Did I get on the wrong boat? Am I headed in the wrong direction? Am I on the wrong flight? Am I on the wrong trail? Am I on the wrong train? What's going on? Why is there a storm? Storms happen to obedient people. And we'll talk about why in a minute. But I want to encourage you that a storm may, there are some storms that come from our disobedience. There are some storms that come all over the planet, like the flood, like COVID. But I'm talking about storms in your life. Some storms come only on the obedient as a result of Jesus calling us into something greater. The storm is, in fact, direct confirmation and an assurance that you're on the right path. The storm in this sense actually should encourage us that we're doing something that matters because if you don't face any resistance in your life, you're probably not a threat to the enemy. The, The devil doesn't have time or resources to guard you, to use a sports analogy, if you're not a threat to the enemy. So if you're being guarded, if you're experiencing turmoil, if you're experiencing storms, it might be because you have something important to do and somewhere important to go, and you are following a commandment of Jesus. So let the storm encourage you. Because the devil wants you to see the storm and be like, snap, I'm on the wrong boat. I better go back. I heard wrong. God's forgotten me. God was with me in 2020, but he forgot me in 2021. All the promises in this Bible were good till 2020, then they expire. Sometimes we think that way, don't we? Life with Jesus is far harder than life without Jesus. But it's also far better. Life to the fullest doesn't mean storms are absent. Life to the fullest means 
your purpose and your destiny and the sense of intimacy with God is so great that you are going to make it through the storm. American-style Christianity teaches us the opposite. If God's with me, I won't have a storm. If God's with me, I'm going to have prosperity. Now, God will always take care of his sons and daughters. We talked about that during our prayer time. But he never said it would be easy. When they, and I love the story in Narnia when they talk about Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, and, and one of the kids says, is Aslan safe? And the other character says, oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. Following Aslan is not safe, but he's good. And, and it sounds like if I listen to a lot of American-style Christianity that it'll be easier, smoother, and more comfortable for me if I follow Jesus. But just the opposite's true. The Pharisees were sleeping at home. Peter was out in the ocean it, in, the, in the Sea of Galilee with waves in a storm, probably freezing his tail off at 4 a.m. with no permission slips. Jesus would have been sued if he was a youth pastor trying a stunt like this to develop character. It got harder to follow Jesus, but then Peter was able to do things that the Pharisee sleeping at home was never able to do. The storm encourages you because it tells you that Christ is with you during the storm. If you pick up a Bible, we see that following Jesus leads to being persecuted. All the disciples died for their faith, but they didn't care because they knew their end destination wasn't here on earth. They were going to reign forever in heaven. They didn't mind trading a little bit here for something eternal. They traded something they couldn't keep, their life, to gain something that they couldn't lose, their eternal life in God's kingdom. That trade was an easy calculation for the disciples. But if we look at it through an earthly lens, it doesn't make sense. That's why I'm asking, has God done work on your eyes for the new year? I'm asking him to work on mine. When we advertise Christianity as a storm-free experience, people start to freak out when they hit the storms of life. When I go to the Christian bookstore and I read and survey, there aren't enough storm stories. We have to remember the cross came before the resurrection. The valley comes before the mountain. We have to be willing to let Jesus get us across what we're facing. Jesus didn't come to protect us. I want you to hear this. Jesus didn't come to protect us from the storm. Jesus came to protect us in the storm. Let that sink in for 2021. Jesus knew where the disciples were, and he had to take them from where they were on one side of this chasm, miles wide, that they couldn't cross on their own, and he had to get them from one side to the other. Does it sound sort of like getting from here to heaven? Does it sound sort of like bridging the gap between humans and God? There's this great stormy chasm in between that you can't cross without Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can miraculously cross it. That's what's going on here. There's a lot of signs and symbolism in this story. It's not just a demonstration of his power, but it's a demonstration of who he is and what he came to fulfill. He was the new Moses leading the children of Israel out of the wilderness. That's why he started with the story of bread. Manna came down from heaven. Jesus distributed new manna, and he's going to lead them across the chasm that they can't cross from slavery to sin to freedom in him. And instead of parting the seas and having the Israelites walk on dry ground, Jesus shows off, skips that part, and walks right over the water. That's pretty cool. We can ooh and ah and clap if we want to. That's, that's pretty cool. So Jesus knows that storms are essential in the lives of believers. Because storms transport us from where we are to where we need to be. And storms transform us from who we are to who we need to be. When Jesus looks at Peter... He knew he was shaping a masterpiece during the storm. When he looked at Peter, he saw 
the prophesied rock of the church, a diamond in the rough. And Jesus had to use this storm to shape and refine Peter. Some of you heard me tell this story before. Michelangelo, the great artist, was rumored to have rolled large rocks into the center of town. And people would look at the rock and say, what is that? You're the master artist. What's going on? And he said, there's an angel trapped inside this rock. And I need to carve and set her free. So he would carve and chip away at the rock and make it into this masterful piece of work that gave glory to the artist. In the same way, Jesus takes Peter out on the water, shows him that the rock of ages can hold you up, but if you're the rock of the church and you're not depending on Jesus, you're going to sink. And Jesus, through growing the faith of Peter, chipped away and carved away at him and transformed the masterpiece out at sea by using a storm. And you'll notice, as soon as the work was done in Peter, everything got calm. Jesus could have changed the circumstances earlier, but he wanted to shape his masterpiece in the storm first. I'm going to say that again. Jesus had the power to change the circumstances earlier, but he chose instead to shape his masterpiece, Peter, first. We're all God's masterpiece, by the way. If you read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it's by grace we've been saved through faith. We can't do anything about it. It's not of works. We can't brag. But we're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. He's shaping us as a masterpiece during the storm. The good works Peter was created in advance to do, he couldn't even see. Peter was content being a fisherman. He had a successful business with a house and a family, and he was mending his nets along the Sea of Galilee, the same sea Jesus was going to ask him to miraculously walk on later. And Peter hears Jesus say, follow me, I'll make you into fishers of men and women. And that changed everything for Peter. His eyesight got fixed on a higher calling and a higher purpose. And the good works that God prepared in advance for him to do had to be called out by a master artist who saw something in Peter that Peter didn't see in Peter. Just like Michelangelo could look at the rock and see something in there that nobody else could see, and he called it out. The storm shapes us into the masterpiece that God has called us to be. So the shaping that happened in Matthew allowed Peter to shake the world in the book of Acts. The Sanhedrin looked at Peter and John and said, they're unschooled ordinary men, but they took note that what? They had been with Jesus. Jesus used storms to shape Peter into the masterpiece that he's supposed to be. So when you see a storm coming, instead of saying, oh, snap, by faith, what if we learn to say, and I'm preaching to me now, I want to learn to say thank you when I see a storm coming. Yes. You think I'm crazy? Read James 1, 2 through 4. Here's what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the word of God. And feel free to clap. I like call and response. This is good. I can't see if you're smiling with your mask, but if you're clapping, I know you're with me. He's making me who I'm supposed to be through the storm. He's taking me where I'm supposed to be through the storm. Thank you. He sent me through a storm because he sees something in me that other people didn't see in me. Thank you. I'm going to leave the storm with greater confidence and faith and power in my life because I've seen him rescue me. And I'll be less afraid to watch him rescue others later. Thank you. Jesus is far more concerned with growing our faith than changing our circumstances. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is far more concerned with growing our faith than changing our circumstances. Because I told you, he could have made that storm go away earlier. He had a greater work to do. 
during the storm. And Peter, a work that was going to last forever. This was the anchor of his church. The rock of the confession of Christ was made by Peter. And Jesus was shaping Peter not to rely on himself or on his supernatural or on his natural eyesight, but on his supernatural vision of faith. That's what Peter was being trained to do during the storm. He had to go through the storm to become the leader of, tri- of the church that he was supposed to be. Faith will last a lifetime and forever. The Bible calls it greater works, greater worth than gold. But our circumstances and storms will be temporary. Isn't this amazing math that Jesus does? He takes a temporary situation and gets eternal gains out of it. He took that temporary storm for Peter and he made him into a man who could preach a sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people on one day came forward. Peter was sinking and timid and then he boldly stood up and said, the Holy Spirit's being poured out just as prophesied in Joel. Turn from this wicked generation and come to Jesus and 3,000 people in one day came to Christ more than Crawford High School in one day coming to Jesus. That's some good preaching. But he had to go through the storm before he could preach like that. Our testimony doesn't have any weight unless we've been through a test. I'll say that again too. Our testimony doesn't have any weight unless we've withstood the test. So the test is the gift that gives us the confidence to stand up. Would you want me to boldly proclaim that something's possible that I haven't pulled off myself? I can pray for Julie Contreras with confidence because God brought me through COVID-19. But I had to go through the test first to have the boldness and confidence to proclaim Christ more clearly. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, brags that he plans, it's actually a pretty good business principle, he plans everything three years out. And they've posted some ridiculous numbers because of COVID-19, everybody's under lockdown. You have to order diapers and burgers and your clothes and your friends all online right now. So they're making a lot of money. They've posted some ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. And when they, can, when they congratulate him over the good quarter, he thinks to himself, that quarter was baked three years ago because we've been planning that far out. That might be a good vision for your family and your business, on earth to think that way. But Jesus is planning three trillion years out. So when he's working with you during a storm, you're like, this storm's going on and on. COVID's been longer than any of us ever thought or dreamt of. It's been going on and on. I remember March 13th, school shut down. I run a school ministry and it was crazy. Friday the 13th, 2020, everything turned upside down. We're almost a year into it. It's probably gonna be a year and a half. That feels like forever. But Jesus plans three trillion years out. He's up to something in your life right now that a year and a half is easy to spend because there's going to be billions and trillions with B's and T's of benefit for you and others around you in your life as your faith grows. And you get to impact others and bring others to Jesus and teach others how to worship Jesus because we've correctly recognized him as the son of God. Let's not lose sight of eternity during the storm. Peter saw the eternal Godhead right there in front of him, and he took his eyes off and put it on something that Jesus had made. He saw Jesus getting closer and closer. He's miraculously walking on water. No one else ever did this. The children of Israel were a close second. They walked through water, walls of water. Maybe there were whales or fish going through but Peter's walking on the water and Jesus is there calling his name and Peter put his eyes on an eternal, sorry, on a temporal wave that was gonna be gone in hours. And he took his eyes off of the guy who called his name who was alive for trillions of years before earth was ever made and he's gonna be alive for trillions of years after and he's inviting Peter into that journey. Worth leaving the boat for that, right? Yeah. Jesus plans three trillion years out. Jesus doesn't rest until Peter and until you and I are complete in his image. Think about this. This is the sequence of Peter being called by Jesus. 
And Jesus is so annoying because he's always asking for more. Even when you've given more than everyone else, Jesus says, but that's not the fullness of my work in you. I'm looking for you to look like me, so I'm not done yet. I haven't given up yet. Peter, I need your boat. Jesus didn't have a sound system. He could have projected his voice miraculously, but he chose to use the waves to speak. In this story, he also chose to use the waves to speak, didn't he? He said, Peter, I want your boat. And then he said, Peter, leave your fishing business. You're a successful entrepreneur. You have a family and a house. That's an accomplishment in this day and age. I see you mending your nets, but what if you could fish for people that last forever? Every fish Peter met before died upon meeting him. Every person Peter met after that went from death to life after meeting Peter. Pretty cool change, wasn't it? So Jesus says, I want you to leave everything and follow me. So he left his nets. Some other disciples left their families and they followed Jesus into this boat. And then he says, learn to, learn to trust me during the storm. I'm asleep in, in the stern, not because I'm aloof or indifferent. It's because I have childlike faith that my heavenly father is so much more powerful than the wind and the waves. I can sleep peacefully during the storm. Everyone else is freaking out and thinking they're going to die. Jesus is asleep, not because he's unaware, not because he doesn't care. He knows who his father is. Peter, I want you to learn that. And Peter went through all that and passed. And then Jesus says, Peter, I want you to go into a new storm. Peter obediently follows. And then Jesus says something ridiculous. Peter, boats are overrated. Come to me on the water. What? That's insane. All the other disciples are still in the boat. Yet when Peter sinks, Jesus pulls him up and he says, oh, ye of little faith. That's offensive. That's angering. In the Greek, it's one word. Oh, ye defined as a person of little faith. I'm like, Jesus, do you see everything else Peter just did? I read you his resume. He did all this other stuff. The crowds are gone. It's 3 a.m. Everyone else is in the boat, and you're being asked to go out on the water. He didn't even walk successfully out on the water. But Jesus doesn't compare us to others, and he doesn't compare us to ourselves as we are in a current state. He compares us to who he created us to be, and only he knows that, and only he gets to call that out because he's the one that did it. Somebody might be looking at Michelangelo and go, wow, you've done a lot with that rock. Jesus says, yes, but wait till you see the finished product. Sometimes it feels annoying to follow Jesus, but the Peter who changed history that we're talking about now that our iPhone says it's 2021 changed history because he let Jesus finish the good work that Jesus started in him. Don't settle for what other Christian disciples in our country are doing. They haven't stepped out of the boat. Don't settle for what the crowds have done. Some of them just won a meal ticket or a toy. Settle for what Jesus has for you. Life, how? To the fullest. Forever. Contagiously. So when people hang around you at six feet away or last for more than 15 minutes, they catch Jesus because he's all over you. That's what he's trying to create in us. Walking by faith teaches us to ask different questions. The disciples are asking each other, do you see the waves? Remember our homie that died out here before? I haven't seen wind this strong. Man, where's Jesus? He left us all alone. But faith says, what does Jesus see in the wind and the waves? What does Jesus see when you're a character in the story that he's written and then he wrote himself in the story to come and meet you. Can you see that? Can you see Jesus coming to you? What does Jesus see when he sees the wind and the waves? Faith rises above common explanations for our circumstances. 
Faith guards us against spiritual amnesia. We all have a very bad case of that. Forgetting what God has just done. Remember the Israelites kept alive for 40 years in the desert and they still grabbed extra manna because, man, after 39 years, maybe this is the year Jesus forgets me. What? Talk about spiritual amnesia. Peter just watched Jesus take one lunch and feed everybody with 12 basketfuls, one for each tribe. He did it symbolically and powerfully. And Peter walks out on the water after watching Jesus walk four miles to him, and then he sees one wave and he forgets. This year, let's shift our focus back to Jesus. We're going to get drawn away. It's impossible not to. But as we mature in faith, we catch ourselves looking at the waves more quickly and we shift our eyes back on Jesus more quickly. And as we get closer to Jesus, we not only hear his voice, we see his face, his countenance himself more clearly, and we start to see that we're talking to God who has power over everything. He's great and he's good. His intentions for us will never be thwarted. Faith teaches us to ask different questions. It guards us against spiritual amnesia. Do you recognize the signs of Jesus around you? Do you recognize the signs of Jesus in this story? He's the bread of life who came down from heaven. I'm not going to read the verse in John because of time. I want us to be out of here before 2022. (laughs) But he described himself as the bread of life, as the bread of heaven. And he's also in charge of the wind and the waves. He's showing us who he is. He's the new Moses who took us across the chasm that we couldn't cross from death to life, from slavery to freedom. Can you see him this morning? He's all that. He commands wind, waves, angels, sickness, demons, and disciples who dare to obey in the storm. When a storm comes, say thank you. Don't turn her away, because Jesus has a purpose in all of that. Application, and then we're done. I'm landing the plane. Your ears are popping. The wheels are coming down. The stewardesses are cleaning up anything around. But every day we wake up with a choice. We've got a phone in one hand and a Bible in the other. I read this so that the phone distractions don't keep grabbing me. Instagram, Facebook, email, text. How many likes did I get on Facebook? All that stuff is pulling at me. Every day we wake up with a choice of what to focus on. I wish I brought my phone up for the illustration, but imagine a phone in one hand. I'm an Xer, so I say phone in one hand, but imagine phone in one hand. Are we going to listen to the commands of Christ or are we going to focus on the storm? Because the storm's going to be raging for months to come. The waves are probably going to get bigger. It's probably going to get darker before the dawn. But are you going to wake up and and grab that, that phone that's magnetically calling you? Or are you going to hear the voice of Jesus who's calling you? That text will last for a couple seconds. This word will last for trillions and trillions of years. That text can freak you out. This text can comfort you. This text will give you the truth. This text will give you purpose in the storm. Every day we wake up with a choice, what do you focus on? You win the day by focusing on Jesus and not the storm. And I pray tomorrow, if you wake up and you're staring at the wave, I hope you catch yourself and go, Jesus. If you're staring at the wave and the wind and all the other disciples who are freaking out yelling, if you just listen to the yelling of other disciples who aren't looking at Jesus, and you think Christianity is a storm-free experience, put your eyes back on Christ. Listen to his word. That's our choice every morning. That's what's going to win the day for us. And then walk forward in faith. Because at the end of the day, when you listen to all the storms and all the late night comedians, they make me laugh, but they don't give me anywhere to walk. I have nothing to step out in faith and go after after I'm done listening. 
It's just cathartic relief for me. But when I see Jesus, he tells me to come to him. And the wind and the waves don't have power over him. And as long as I'm held up by his promises and I trust his power and his commands and his authority and his identity, I can walk by faith. That's the choice. If we look at the storms, we'll sink. If we look at Christ, we'll walk by faith. Jesus has already come the distance to you. Isn't that cool? Before he asked Peter to walk 50 yards out to him, he had walked three miles or four miles at 4 a.m. to come to them. When Jesus sees you in distress, he's coming. He might be coming early in the morning, but he's coming. He might use a storm to speak to you through the waves, just as Jesus used water to speak from the shore. But he's calling your name. Can you hear him? He traveled farther than four miles, by the way. He left heaven and traveled to meet you. And all he's asking for you to do is walk forward in faith a few yards. Nothing compared to how far he traveled to make it to you. Will you come to Jesus this morning? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Pete's away so the campus pastor from Encanto Me can play a little bit. I'm going to take the time whether you're online or whether you're here in person to invite you to come to Jesus. Maybe there's a lot of noise in the boat. Maybe some of the boat passengers are annoying. Maybe they don't have the right behavior or the right faith or the right background. But I'm not asking you to think about them. I'm not asking you to think about the crowd. I'm asking you, can you see Jesus getting closer He's coming to you, but he doesn't force himself into our boat. He gives us the choice to come to him. Love requires freedom, so he'll give people the opportunity to reject him because he knows some people will step forward and accept him. So I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. If this isn't for you, if you're new to our church and this seems weird, please don't feel forced to do anything because love requires freedom. But if as I've been talking the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart. And if, as I've been talking, you realize that Jesus didn't just stay in the grave, but he's alive now, he's calling you now. The risen Christ is speaking through me today, through the Holy Spirit in a new year, inviting you to step out of the boat. Leave your sin behind. Leave your fears behind. Leave religiosity and the traditions of the disciples behind. If they're not biblical, leave them behind and step out in faith and meet Jesus. If you've never done that before or you want to recommit yourself, now I want to invite you in the privacy of your own heart to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I see you. And I believe that you can see me. All of me. I can't hide in the dark. Can't hide in the storm. I want you to hold me so I won't sink. Just like Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Somebody in this room, somebody online, in your heart, you want to cry out, Lord, save me. You can do that right now and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive my sins. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit and allow me to walk forward with my eyes on you so other people see what's possible as a disciple overcomes the storm. Amen. If that's you this morning and you prayed that prayer, can you stick your hand up so I can see what God's doing here at this church? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I know there's some people online. I see you in the back. I see you under the balcony. I know God's at work. And he's not done with us. How is God calling us to step out in faith in 2021? If you're already a believer, what does that look like for you today? What do you need to leave behind? What waves distract you? What's pulling you away from focusing on Christ? What hungers are you satisfying that the bread of life alone can satisfy? I want to give you a moment right now 
to ask that question in your heart. What does it look like to step out in faith and walk more closely to the one who can satisfy my soul? We're going to have a Daniel fast, like I talked about later this month. What is it that God wants you to turn your eyes from so you can shift your eyes and your focus onto Jesus? I'm going to give you just a minute for that, and then I'll pray, and then we'll have communion. Lord, thank you for coming so far to us, for calling our name. We believe you're greater than the wind and the waves. We trust you in the storm because now we see the purpose of the storm and we want to be who you want us to be. You have our best interests at heart even more than we have our own best interests at heart. You know us even better than we know ourselves, than our family knows us, than our friends know us, than our coworkers know us. So we trust you. I pray that all of us would catch ourselves more quickly when our eyes go to the waves and may we see your face more clearly because one day we know we will see you face to face. Teach us how to walk by faith until that day. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.